This is Comic Picks by the Glick, and here's your host, Jason Glick. Yeah, and here I am, back from Comic-Con after our most recent podcast, and God, man, it's like I was there for four and a half days, saw lots of great stuff, saw Scott McCloud, Grant Morrison, Stanley, Gerard Way, all in person, lots of great stuff, but probably going to talk about that later on No Podcast for All Men, yeah. possibly. But Possibly. Hey, yeah. I'm here to talk about all the comic books I brought in the four, four and a half days I was there. All right. So, uh, so, so you're basically your haul, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, not all of my haul. <laughs> just like I've only read through about half of it so far. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. to talk about in detail about all the comic books I got there. Well, just maybe going on for like two and a half hours or more. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just going through the highlights of what I've read so far. Well, highlights and lowlights. So, what's first up on your uh, list here? Okay, first up is um, Sam and Twitch, the Brian Michael Bendis Collection, Volume 2. Now, Sam and Twitch are best known as the um, um, detectives in Todd McFarlane's Spawn series. Mm-hmm. And several years back, they were spun out into their own series, written by Brian Michael Bendis. He does great crime fiction, and also gone, gone on to even bigger fame as the writer of Ultimate Spider-Man and New Avengers. Yeah, This, however, plays to his strengths as a crime fiction writer, because he he's got to start writing um, great gritty tales such as um, Fire, Goldfish, and Jinx. And Sam and Twitch basically like, has, has, the, um, has Tom McFarlane's detective, character, detective characters, um, Sam Burke and Twitch Williams, investigating um, a couple of different cases, one of them being a witchcraft, some witchcraft-related slayings. Um, a guy who was, and then another guy who was shot and then had an egg cracked open over him. Hmm. Yeah. And the death of, of, of Twitch Williams' golf girlfriend. Now, okay. <laughs> I'll I'll be the first to say that this, these stories like aren't they don't really push the boundaries in any new way. I mean they're good straightforward crime stories. I mean you get to see some good investigative stuff with with Sam and Twitch. Get, you know like I'm pursuing leads, like talking to criminals, interrogating them, like fun stuff. And the art is is decent to excellent because while the first half is done by um, um Alberto Alberto Ponticelli, who does he handles things well enough. The second half, um, which basically involves um. Sam and Twitch tracking down um, the the murderer of um, Jinx's of um, of Switch's girlfriend. Um, it has some art by Alex Maleve, who went on to do some great stuff with Bendis um, on on Daredevil. Yeah, and also that benefits because the second story involves um, Bendis's um, bounty hunter um, Jinx Alameda from his trademark series Jinx, which I just mentioned. And that's that was a lot of fun. It's a good action story where they're tracking down a, a reckless bounty hunter named Bilal who who's responsible for all this. And I guess it's I don't say this is like um, world-shattering stuff, but it's like you're looking for some good crime-oriented stuff. Comes highly recommended. It's definitely a step up from Bendis' first story on the series of Udaku, which was marred by a very generic um, 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 antagonist. Which basically, like, it's the whole mystery of the first series was like, hey, who was, who are, who is Udaku? Who is this this person? And eventually revealed, oh, it's the South Africans. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. There was no real evidence that it was the South Africans at all. I mean, you could have said it was like it was the Portuguese, it was the French, it was the Italians, it was anyone. But no, he just put in the um, South Africans as like a generic antagonist. <laughs> yeah, are they trying to? Was it? Was it? We're uh, trying to reflect a, an older time or something like that. Or? I don't know. It's like, they it's, just tossed it in there I because they could. Actually, it was a good part with the deep. They had lots of good details, but it was a case where the parts were not. The whole was less than the sum of its parts. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to um, less noteworthy stuff is Spider-Man: The Black Cat. Uh, when you first told me about this, I was just like, uh, I was like, wow, okay, this sounds this sounds kind of cool. 
Yeah, because basically, um, Spider-Man team with the Black Cat to find out the uh, find out about the murder or let's see the miss let's see um the let's see Spider-Man's investigating the over, the heroin overdose of one of his one of his students and Black Cat investigating the disappearance of one of her one of her friends. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, who does this? Who yeah, wrote this story. Just about to say that because like I said, this this is this would be like a fairly. Like I said, this I probably wouldn't view this series as a second thought. What's the fact that it was written by by comic, comic booking general geek idol Kevin Smith? Mm. Yeah, and it's also noteworthy, or should I say, infamous for the fact that um, Smith took a three year break between issues three and four to finish it. Aha, three years. Yeah, based based on what came in the um, second half of the series versus the first, he should have kept waiting. <laughs> because really, the first half of the series has lots of good Spider-Man related action. I mean, it's it's fun seeing um, Smith take on like, Spider-Man's traditional one-liners, and he writes a good Black Cat as well. Mm-hmm. And because he has a relationship down pretty well, because they were they were dating for a while before before Spider-Man finally went and married Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. It's fun stuff for the first half, and then you get into the second half, which has which delves into some really slightly disturbing um, incest slash child abuse stuff, which I, like I said, this is, I'll talk about this more in a minute, but it's not some stuff I really want to see, I feel you can really explain um, with all, with with perfect credibility in a Spider-Man comic. I mean, I look at this and I think, no, this isn't the kind of thing where you want to like bring out Spider-Man to talk about. I mean, like, in fact, like the second half really feels like a, generally like a fairly um, substandard um, after school special. Mm. It also brings to the point where, um, where Smith tries to retcon on a rape incident into on the Black Cat's history, and you it just doesn't pan out at all. I mean, it's like it's got some good art from Terry Dodson, who does some good cheesecake, but uh, the the second half just really it just I was like it like Smith should have just like thought about this more before he, before he put pen to paper. Mm. Yeah, this even is, though we love you, Kevin Smith. Yes, we love yeah. you, Kevin. I love both your panels you did at Comic Con, but really, <laughs> it's like if this is the case that. This is if this this is what happens when you take like three or four years um, to finish up a series. Then you should just let um, Daredevil the target um, remain uncompleted. Mm. Okay, as opposed this is now this is as opposed to um, the tale of one bad rat by Brian Talbot, which I just finished reading today. Hmm. This is a story of um, a girl named Helen living living rough on the British, like as a runaway on the British streets, and it's it's a it's a good. It's a very good, emotional, powerful story, telling of like how, like, well, you see all these runaways like littering the streets, and like, wonder like, what's their story? Hers is that she was she was abused by her dad, and like, and like, and Talbot does a great job um, of of showing her showing like how damaged she is as a as well. It's I would it's it is a somewhat depressing story, but it's also good because Talbot um, really gets the details right. I mean, it's like. It's not just like a. It's not an after-school special like the Spider-Man story is. I mean, he's telling it, like he's committed to telling your story, like showing out all of her problems, and like it also helps that he's a great artist as well. It feels feels very realistic, and he just does a great job of bringing all the characters to life, and the emotional um, climax where, he, where she confronts her dad is handled extremely well. Like I said, it's like I said, some some of you might find this depressing, but overall, it's a very strong story. It's something I'd highly recommend to everyone. Yeah. Now, moving back down on the to the more of the uh, junk food scale of of comic books, we've got um, Doctor Thirteen: Architecture and Morality. Excuse me, Doctor Thirteen: Architecture and Mortality. Oh, okay, okay. This is written by Brian Azzarello and illustrated by Cliff Chang. Now, Cliff Chang does some great stuff here. He's got a great, um, slightly cartoonish sense of style, but it's 
but he's got a great Greyhound how to tell a story and I kind of presented to what presented as well. It's done in a very appealing style. It's like it's, it's art is easily the best thing about the series. Because the thing is that while Brian Azarell is a great writer, and as you can see in his um his um crime epic magnum opus on One Hundred Bullets, um he's got a, he's got some issues with um with clarity, which aren't really an issue here. But the thing is, let's see, Doctor Thirteen is basically a, a skeptic type character. He's basically the kind of guy who tries to disprove prove that um, all alien, incident, uh, alien um, abduction incidents are fake, that there are no ghosts. Like, he's just kind of skeptic. But now he's... But after one case, um, brings him in contact with some of DC's really more ex- obscure and um, weird characters, like Genius Jones, the kid who um, can answer anything for... Te- answer any question for 10 cents. I, Vampire, a very 80s-esque um, vampire character. Um, and a... Uh, and it's Nazi... Uh, and it's Nazi ape, who I can't remember his name off the top of my head. You got Infectious Lass, who can infect um, any disease on type of hmm. character. Then they got like Anthro, the primordial boy. And you see like just really weird characters. And like I've heard a lot of people talk about the series as, a, as like a love letter to like DC's really old and obscure and weird characters that nobody loves anymore. Mm-hmm. The problem is that Azrael isn't using these characters to tell a story. He's using them as a, as an ironic ironic device in order to indict um, some of the people who are currently running DC's um, big event type stories. Um, these people being Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Jeff Johns, and Mark Wade, as being as people who are just like trying to say, oh no, we don't like these characters as they are. We need to update them, make them more relevant than than they are right now. Well the problem is with the way that Azrael is telling the stories that his 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 affection for these characters feels kind of disingenuous and the fact that he's not telling a proper story that these characters were designed for, he's using them as ironic commentary, which is ironic because <laughs> I mean the characters, the, the way that um that, Ruck, that characters like Rucka, Johns, Morrison, Wade have have updated, like they've been, made gone made them more relevant and made some great stories, timeless stories for these characters. But Azrael is just using them as ironic commentary, which is it feels kind of disingenuous since. Azrael isn't known for any like love of these characters. He's basically known for like telling really um, gritty crime stories, like in Hundred Bullets, Johnny Double, and also his spaghetti, spaghetti western, um, Loveless. Mm-hmm. So it's it feels really kind of hard to take any kind of commentary that that Azrael is taking here seriously. And in the end, it just really makes me glad that I, I waited and got this for five bucks at the um, Things from Another World table than um, paying full price for it. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Moving on to a higher class of things, you got The Interman by Jeff Parker. Now, I've heard about this for years um, as a great action story, and, I, and Jeff Parker has gone to bigger and better things at Marvel, doing some good stuff with their um, adventure titles and his Agents of Atlas series. But this is, this is a fun, fun action story, because basically the um, Interman, or a guy named Van Meech, he was basically the product of a government, uh, an inter, intergovernmental experiment to um, make Make like, like the ultimate ultimate soldier type character, someone who can survive like nuclear wars and any kind of conflicts. Because basically, he's got the ability to adapt to anything. He can, like I said, if he's um, underwater for for a long time, enough time, he'll develop gills and he'll his um, skin will harden to um, preserve body heat. He also conduct electricity like electric ills. And like if you toss him to a fight long enough, he'll eventually be able to adapt and like learn the other person's move moves. It's like it's it's a cool character. And the story has the feel of a um, of an old school Bond movie, and the fact that he's moving around, constantly moving around all over the world, and they've got all these people from the different governments trying to attack and kill him. 
it's a fun story. And even though I got this for, like, I think I found this for 60% off, mm-hmm. it's, I'd still probably, if I, after reading through this now, I would say it's worth, it is worth full price. It's a good, it's a good action story. In fact, I'd probably make a good movie. It's like, probably come like a, in the vein of like, in the vein of Bond and the, um, the Jason Bourne movies, only the more like a superhero-ish bent. And frankly, it says volume one on the side of this, and there's been no indication that Parker is coming back to do a second one, but I personally wouldn't mind seeing him do a second one eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one other thing I like about um, Comic-Con is that um, Viz, um, world's big, um, U.S.'s biggest manga publisher, likes selling um, early copies of stuff at their booth. This year, there's some early copies of um, Takahiko Inoue's Slam Dunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his um, legendary um, basketball manga, which is one of the biggest selling Shonen Jump titles of all time. I think it's like 30 million copies sold. Actually, probably more. I think it's close to a, no, probably around 100 million copies sold throughout the world. Wow. And it's a story of um, Sakuragi Hanamichi, who's basically like he's, he's just arrived in high school and he's been shot down by over 50 girls as try, and, and trying to get a date. But the 51st girl he encounters... Turns out she's a big basketball fan, and she's just his type. So as he tries to get involved with basketball, he winds up um, a, um, antagonizing her brother and challenging him to a, a big, to a big um, face-off, which he actually manages to uh, score one one dunk over this guy, like a big gorilla-type character. Oh. And after like um, proving his dedication to to this to um, to trying to get on the basketball team, he eventually he eventually starts to go on to. He's in theory going to want to become one of the best people on the team because that's because it's this series really used to the standard show and jump formula of I'm going to be the best at X, be it right. pirate hunting, fighting, <laughs> it's like basketball, football, whatever. Right. Yeah. And like I said, the thing is though is that this this series was pretty published in 1991, so really all the stuff that's become standard issue in show and jump these days, it's a result of this series right here. Mm. So it's really can't really hard. I can't really um, call it too hard for being um, slightly formulaic, but right. it still, but it still does the, um, it still does a good job of uh, getting interested in the characters. Like Hanamichi is a very, um, very goofy um, yet endearing character. And he's 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 interesting enough that you want that you're eventually going to want to see how this de- series develops. I mean, frankly, the most annoying part of the series to me is that Viz is saying that um, it's same volume is due out till February of '09. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> How many volumes have, were produced for this series? Uh, 30 plus, I think. 30 plus. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope this catches on so that this decides to uh, release, release even more of these. I mean, it's really, it's like, it's, unless you, if you already like the series, if you're glad it's being released by Viz, like I said, if you're, if you hate everything that Shonen Jump stands for, this isn't going to change your mind. I mean, it's, I can't say this is, like I said, a lot of stuff that's, that's you've seen in this series has been done, done to death by, by other later Shonen Jump series. But as it is right now, it's a fun title. That being said, the other advanced style Viz was announcing was um, Black Lagoon. Right you, on. Yes. Now, if you've been listening <laughs> to us talk about this in the anime podcast, right. you know we really like Black Lagoon a whole oh, lot. Black Lagoon. Yes. <laughs> and it's great that they're finally they're bringing out the manga over here. Now, the only issue, though, is that, um, well, you see, after having read the, seen the anime, I'm kind of in like that kind of marking time mode where we've got the where I'm waiting for the series to um, to like start telling stories beyond what we've seen in the anime um, so we can so we can like find out what happens next right okay. because now that I've seen like um, 24 episodes of the series and I've seen up to the um, Fujiyama Gangster Paradise arc 
like I'm kind of like we're kind of like in review mode here after reading the first volume. Now, first of all, it's first volume. A lot of fun though. It's like it's it's fun like noting the um, differences between the um, anime and the manga because while because you'll notice like certain things like um, in the in like the um, Killer Maid arc where uh, where like the uh, the difference the, there's more action there's more of the action the shootout between um, Roberta and um, and Revy in the anime and also the Terminator um, parallels between between Roberta um, and like well the T1000 are played up much more in the anime. Uh, they're not quite played up here in the in the manga, right there, which is understandable. Because saying like, you got there's more, the anime lasts more depiction of motion and and um, straight at, straight up action. But still, it's like it's a lot of the first volume series. A lot of fun. I was like I was still entertained, like taking note of like all the differences. And even though it's like you'll notice, you can see um, artist Ray Haraway um, growing um, from the first from the beginning of on to the end. It still comes highly recommended, and I really wish that um, Viz would um, get this stuff out sooner because I'm. So like after now that the um third um um Black Lagoon series has been announced, I mean waiting even longer to find out new stories um based on how they're publishing things. Okay, but still, this is like the um, general like uh, this is like the um first batch of stuff like the most notable stuff from the first batch of stuff I read from Comic Con, and that's actually I could keep going, but it, we're gonna pull it, stop here. Well, not for any particular reason, just because it's a good arbitrary stopping point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I will ever say that we've got I did. Ha- Thanks. This Comic Con, I do have enough stuff to actually do a Superman podcast, and we find out about that next week. All right, and with that, we'll uh, wrap it up, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Later. <laughs>